Here we go. Here we go. Okay. This is the mop-up for November 30th, 2023. I'm David Feldman. Thank you for finding me. Starting a little later again than we normally do. I don't know if I'm going to stick with this schedule. Let's see uh, how you like it. Let me know in the comments section. And please like this episode so I remain in your feed. Make sure to subscribe to my newsletter and this channel. This program is an audio podcast. Take me with you on your next walk by downloading this episode on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Congress is expected on Friday to take a third and final vote on whether to expel Congressman George Santos. Now, conventional wisdom is there are finally enough votes in the Republican caucus to push his removal past the two-thirds threshold required by law. Speaker Mike Johnson, who's doing everything he can to preserve his razor-thin majority, says he doesn't know how or if he'll vote on the expulsion and said he is not, as they say, whipping the vote against George Santos, despite the Republican chairman of the House Ethics Committee introducing the motion to remove Santos, despite the Justice Department indicting the Long Island congressman on 23 counts of wire fraud, embezzlement, and filing false statements. Speaker Johnson says he's not sure how he is going to vote tomorrow. During an early Thursday morning press conference on the steps of the Capitol, a defiant Santos said he won't resign. He said he's not going to give in to bullies. He said he will file his own motion to expel Democratic Congressman Jamal Bowman from New York. If you remember, Congressman Bowman pled guilty to pulling a fire alarm while Congress was debating the October 30th continuing resolution. Again, most people are saying there are enough votes to remove Santos. You need a two-thirds majority. The entire Democratic caucus is most probably going to vote to remove him. But there is still plenty of pushback, especially from members of the far-right Freedom Caucus, who say removing a member of Congress before he's been convicted sets a bad precedent. Even Speaker Mike Johnson has said that. Some are suggesting that George Santos deserves his day in court. And again, Republicans cannot afford to lose too many seats. Others, however, in the Republican caucus are saying they don't need the Justice Department to convict Santos. The Ethics Committee filed the motion to remove him, and that should be good enough. But then again, a lot of the Ethics Committee's report, in fact, most of it, is based on the Justice Department's findings. Louisiana Republican Clay Higgins said he will not vote to expel and call tomorrow's vote, quote, a public crucifixion. Public crucifixion, by the way, is why Clay Higgins got kicked off the Louisiana Sheriff's Department and had a turn to politics. Pretty sure that's uh, why Clay Higgins can no longer be a police officer anymore in Louisiana because of his public crucifixions. Former Speaker Kevin McCarthy told Donald Trump to go F himself 
in a phone conversation immediately following McCarthy losing the vote and being forced to vacate the chair. McCarthy reportedly talked to Donald Trump after being removed and wanted to know why Trump didn't support him the way he did back in January when the former president helped push Kevin McCarthy over the top after 15 votes, 15 rounds of votes for speaker. Well, Trump said, you're disloyal. Uh, Trump said you had several months as speaker to do the right thing and expunge the two impeachments from the record books. McCarthy reportedly then shot back, go F yourself. And he didn't say F, he said the real word. There is, by the way, no way for Congress ever to expunge Donald Trump's two impeachments. Impeachments are indictments, and there are no, there's no mechanism to take back an impeachment. Well, I reported earlier this week that there's been talk that Kevin McCarthy is angry, depressed, isolated, and his fall from power was so sharp and fast, he wants to leave Congress altogether. That's he's just done with Congress. So far, he has yet to file papers to run for reelection. And next year, I've been hearing this, there has been speculation that he could end up quitting Congress altogether before the spring. But now, what I'm hearing, the wilderness for Kevin McCarthy has gotten so intense, the isolation and contempt and disrespect he feels in the halls of Congress has become so acute, there is now talk that Kevin McCarthy will be out by Christmas. Coupled with Santos's expulsion, that would leave Speaker Mike Johnson with a two-seat deficit as the continuing resolution starts to unravel in January and then February. McCarthy quitting now, before Christmas, would create a major headache for Speaker Johnson, who McCarthy has been trying to sabotage ever since he moved into McCarthy's old office. McCarthy thinks Johnson is a man of little stature and isn't up to the job. And so McCarthy is doing everything he can to make that so. Florida Congressman Matt Gates, who orchestrated McCarthy's removal, was asked if he thought the former speaker would be quitting anytime soon. And Matt Gates said yes, adding, quote, I suspect the former speaker will return to spend more time with the people he's always represented on Wall Street and K Street. I don't imagine he'll be walking the streets of Bakersfield. Gates is, in terms of roasting Kevin McCarthy, He's, he's been brutal, just brutal. In an interview with the Daily Mail, Kevin McCarthy made it clear that he still considers Matt Gates his mortal enemy. McCarthy was asked how he would vote on the removal of George Santos. He wasn't asked anything about Matt Gates. And out of nowhere, once again, Kevin McCarthy brought up Matt Gates's pending ethics investigation. McCarthy said, again, this was a question about George Santos. He goes, I don't know what people have said and written about it, Matt Gates, 
But he seems even worse than George Santos. And I know where Santos ends up. In other words, Kevin McCarthy said, unsolicited, he said, if you're going to remove Santos, then you have to remove Matt Gates because his crimes are far worse. What are his crimes? Well, he got me kicked out as speaker. That's his crime. Even though Matt Gates, technically speaking, by the way, uh, was investigated by the Justice Department, he was never prosecuted. Maybe he should have been, but they're prosecuting George Santos. They're not prosecuting Matt Gates. Then McCarthy confirmed what I've said on the show countless times, and that is one of the reasons Matt Gates went after Kevin McCarthy was because McCarthy wouldn't put an end to the Ethics Committee investigation looking into Matt Gates. Now, I said that Gates was taking a page from the Trump playbook, and that is go big. If you're in trouble, go big and make it political. And once Gates became the guy trying to throw Kevin McCarthy out, he politicized the entire ethics investigation into his own behavior. Matt Gates could then say, these charges against me are meaningless. McCarthy is just trying to punish me for attacking him, for trying to remove him as speaker. McCarthy told the Daily Mail much of uh, what the motion to vacate the chair was about. It was based on Gates not wanting that ethics report to come to fruition. And then he says, I hope no one cut any deals to try to stop that. I just don't think that's good for government. So reading between the lines, what is Kevin McCarthy saying? He's once again undermining Speaker Mike Johnson. He's implying that Matt Gates is taking it, e- taking it easy right now on Mike Johnson, even though Mike Johnson passed the same exact continuing resolution that got McCarthy shit-canned, right? Uh, so McCarthy's pissed off, and he's saying that, obviously, Mike Johnson made a deal to quash the ethics investigation into Matt Gates in exchange for Matt Gates not filing a motion for Mike Johnson to vacate the chair. I've, I, but, I, you know, I've never seen a former speaker behave so vindictively the way Kevin McCarthy has. He's like a little brat. But this is the new Republican Party. This is Trump's Republican Party. Never accept defeat graciously and just keep fighting and cannibalize. Eat your own. Doesn't matter. It's all about me. It's the hyper-individualism we see in the Republican Party. They don't care about the team. They only care about themselves. Meanwhile, there is that ethics investigation looking into Matt Gates, where there are allegations of sexual misconduct. I've heard the Mann Act and illicit drug use, sharing inappropriate images and videos on the House floor, and using campaign funds for personal reasons. I've heard, I don't know if it's true, but I've heard discussions of the Mann Act. So we'll see. So how deceitful is our new speaker, Mike Johnson? Very, very 
according to Liz Cheney, the former Republican congresswoman who was number three in the Republican House leadership before she took a principled stance against Donald Trump and voted to impeach him for inciting the January 6th insurrection. Cheney was also the ranking member of the January 6th committee, whose formation Kevin McCarthy tried to block. According to her new book, Mike Johnson is a liar when he says he's a constitutional scholar. We've been hearing that. Mike Johnson always tells everybody he's a constitutional scholar. Well, if you have to tell people you're a constitutional scholar, obviously that (laughs) it's like there's no official title of constitutional scholar. People have to decide you're one. You just don't get to call yourself a constitutional scholar. Cheney says he's just a lawyer and barely that. But Johnson had to call himself. He had to refer to himself as a constitutional scholar immediately after the 2020 presidential election when As congressman, he served as Donald Trump's point man, enlisting members of the House to sign on to an amicus brief supporting the state of Texas's lawsuit challenging Pennsylvania's electoral votes, which went to Joe Biden. Now, that lawsuit was dismissed immediately by the Supreme Court in the lead up to January 6th. It was filed by the attorney general of Texas, uh, Paxton, Ken Paxton, who was just impeached. He survived. Uh, He wasn't convicted, but he was impeached and he's being investigated. He's on trial in March for, I believe, securities fraud. Well, back to that amicus brief and Mike Johnson lying about being a constitutional scholar. So he enlisted about 150 Republican members of the House in uh, the lead up to January 6th. Uh, He enlisted them to sign their name to this amicus brief, which Johnson claimed he had written. Liz Cheney said the amicus brief was filled with errors and lies and grammatical mistakes It looked amateurish and that it was obviously written by the White House with Johnson's name slapped on it. She said Johnson lobbied members of the House to sign their name to the brief. He said when he was asking them to sign it, he said, I'm praying for you. He kept walking up to them and saying, I'm praying for you. And he said there was clear-cut evidence of voter fraud. He assured members of the House that Trump was winning in the courts, despite Trump losing 60 court challenges in the lead-up to January 6th. 60 judges in the lead-up to January 6th said there was not a single shred of evidence to support Trump's claims of voter fraud. But Mike Johnson constitutional scholar was telling his fellow House Republicans that we're winning in the courts. There's plenty of evidence. That's who our new speaker is. Well, yesterday, Speaker Johnson held a press conference with the three committee heads looking into the possible impeachment of Joe Biden. And Johnson proved Cheney is absolutely right, at least uh, when she accuses Johnson 
of having a tenuous relationship with the truth. The man is a liar. Mike Johnson is a liar. Johnson yesterday said the investigation into how President Biden benefited from Hunter Biden's business dealings are, quote unquote, alarming. That is a lie. That is a lie. And then he proceeded to present false evidence that Joe Biden is guilty of money laundering. This is just outright lying. Johnson presented a check from Jimmy Biden, Joe Biden's brother. It was written to Joe Biden. And Mike Johnson produced this check. He blew it up. And he said, this is evidence that Joe Biden is laundering dirty money for the Chinese. It is garbage. It is as big a lie as election fraud, voter fraud in the 2020 presidential election. Once a liar, always a liar. If, you were, if you're willing to lie about election fraud after 2020, why wouldn't you lie yourself an impeachment of Joe Biden? The truth is Joe Biden, and if, if you just follow these hearings, uh, it's, it's patently obvious. It, uh, Joe Biden lent his brother money, not, not when he was vice president, not when he was president, when Joe Biden was a private citizen. He lent his brother Jimmy because Jimmy had a cash flow problem. So eventually his brother uh, paid him back. He, Jimmy Biden secured some work from a Chinese business. And there is absolutely no evidence to suggest the money Jimmy Biden got from the Chinese business was the same money he used to pay his brother back. And there's no evidence to suggest that Jimmy Biden broke the law by working for this Chinese business. But Mike Johnson, the constitutional scholar, the devout Christian who says homosexuality should be criminalized, Mike Johnson, holier than thou, bears false witness once again yesterday with zero evidence. He is now claiming that Jimmy Biden took money from the Chinese, cleaned it, and then gave it to Joe Biden, who wasn't president at the time, who wasn't vice president, who was just a private citizen who lent money to his brother and got paid back, not knowing how his brother got the money. And how his brother got the money was not illegal. But this is what Republicans do. It doesn't matter if there's an actual crime, just create a lot of smoke and people assume there's fire. Like Benghazi, remember the Benghazi hearings? No crime, Hillary didn't do anything wrong. The email server, nothing wrong, but just keep hammering something over and over again. And enough people will think, well, there must be something there. Republicans wouldn't make something up. Yes, they would. Yes, they would. So that is the new Speaker of the House, uh, the devout, the holier-than-thou Mike Johnson, who can't wait to pass judgment how, on how you and I make love. Uh, but he's out there lying for Donald Trump, who is a convicted rapist. And uh, But, you know, when you think you have God on your side, there's no stopping there's no stopping someone who thinks they have God 
on their side. This is war. If you've got God on your side, this is war. And you do whatever it takes. You do whatever it takes, guilt-free, because you've got God on your side. You know, Scott Perry is that Republican congressman from Pennsylvania, and he now heads the Freedom Caucus. The FBI seized his cell phone because of the role he played in the run-up to January 6th. Perry is the one who introduced Jeffrey Clark to Donald Trump after the 2020 election. Perry said of Jeffrey Clark, said to Donald Trump, hey, there's this guy in the Justice Department. There's one guy I found in the Justice Department. His name is Jeffrey Clark, and he is more than willing to go against the entire leadership inside the Justice Department and say that there is evidence of voter fraud. You should meet Jeffrey Clark. That's what Congressman Scott Perry said to Donald Trump after the presidential, after the 2020 presidential election, the lead up to January 6th. You got to meet this guy, Jeffrey Clark. I know the entire Justice Department is against you, Mr. President, but this guy, Jeffrey Clark, he'll say there's voter fraud. And Clark, as you all know, has since been indicted down in Georgia for participating in this uh, this uh, attempt to overthrow the election. Clark, Jeffrey Clark, met with the president before January 6th. And as you all know, the president was prepared to make Jeffrey Clark acting attorney general. Remember, and then he was then Jeffrey Clark becomes attorney, acting attorney general. And then he appoints Sidney Powell, who's also indicted. He appoints her as special counsel to start prosecuting Democrats for election fraud. That was the plan. And uh, so Jeffrey Clark was about to be named acting attorney general. While this was going on, there were text messages that were just released that went on between Jeffrey Clark and Pennsylvania Congressman Scott Perry, the head of the Freedom Caucus. And in these text messages, Jeffrey Clark, who thinks he's about to become acting attorney general, thanks Perry for introducing him to Donald Trump and then said he was humbled that Trump was about to name him acting attorney general and said in the text that he hoped he was up to the job. And Perry said, quote, God is on our side. Okay, now, of course, Clark never became acting attorney general because pretty much the entire Justice Department threatened to quit if Trump went through it. But this is what true believers think. God is on our side. And in the battle between good and evil, lying, or committing crimes against the American people, those are just misdemeanors. Ginny Thomas, the wife of Clarence Thomas, sent text messages to Mark Meadows, Donald Trump's chief of staff. She was sending text messages in the lead up to January 6th, and she was urging the president not to fire Sidney Powell. Because a lot of people thought Sidney Powell was, quote unquote, crazy, including the president. But he kept her on. And, and partially because Clarence Thomas's wife, Ginny, was lobbying for her, let her continue to find voter fraud. 
And she said in her text to Scott, to uh, Mark Meadows, the White House chief of staff, quote, this is a battle between good and evil. And if it's a battle between good and evil, it doesn't matter what or whom you destroy. These are dangerous people. Moral certitude, and I'm guilty of moral certitude. Uh, moral certitude coupled with a uh, religious fervor and a messianic complex like Mike Johnson, very dangerous. Very dangerous. Well, speaking of Clarence Thomas and Ginny Thomas, Dick Durbin over at the Senate Judiciary Committee is trying, probably as we speak, uh, to get a vote on whether to subpoena Leonard Leo and Harlan Crow, the wealthy millionaires, billionaires who showered Clarence Thomas and his wife with hundreds of thousands of dollars in free vacations as well as other gratuities that Clarence Thomas failed to disclose. Senator Dick Durbin of Illinois, chairman of the committee, uh, this is going to be the third time he's attempted to vote, get the committee to vote on subpoenaing these uh, contributors to Clarence Thomas's lifestyle. It got really ugly today before this vote. There were some... Uh, votes on judges that the committee had to make. And this the Republicans on the committee are notorious for slowing the process down. They don't want the vote to take place on the subpoenas. This is now the third time Dick Durbin has tried to get a vote to subpoena these two millionaires. And every time he tries, people like uh, Cornyn and Ted Cruz they delay, they delay, delay. And before the vote, there was an issue of some uh, lower court uh, judges. And the debate went way past what it should. And Dick Durbin cut off the debate. And John Cornyn, Republican from Texas, said, you have destroyed the Senate Judiciary Committee by cutting off our attempts to delay the vote on the subpoenas of Leonard Leo and Harlan Crow. These guys are important, not just because they give money to Clarence Thomas. They also, uh, one of them also uh, paid for a vacation for Alito, and they help pick the Supreme Court. Both these guys are tapped into the Federalist Society. They're picking judges, Leonard Leo and Harlan Crow. So, of course, the Republicans on the Senate Judiciary Committee do not want these two guys to be, be subpoenaed. I don't know. Before uh, the show started, they had not taken the vote yet. Leonard Leo. So he would be Leo Leo, right? Leonard Leo. Uh, yeah, so right now, the the Republicans on the Senate Judiciary Committee uh like Texas Senator Ted Cruz, are tying up the vote. They're demanding other subpoenas be issued. They're demanding that the Senate Judiciary Committee begin looking into allegations against Hunter Biden, right? They, they're saying we should be assisting the House in its impeachment investigation. That's not the way things work, but 
who cares, right? With God on your side, you can be guilty of misdemeanors. Meanwhile, Republican House Whip Tom Emmer said yesterday that he expects Speaker Johnson to bring a vote to the House floor on whether to open a formal impeachment inquiry into Joe Biden's business dealings. Because right now, there is an impeachment inquiry in the House being conducted by three committees, House Judiciary Committee, the House Oversight Committee, and the House Ways and Means Committee. But this is not a formal investigation. It's an investigation that was ordered unilaterally by then-Speaker Kevin McCarthy. And because it's not a formal investigation, a formal investigation is one that's been sanctioned by a majority vote in the House, the Republicans are being hampered. Their investigation is being hampered, and they say it's unfair. Well, why is it being hampered? Bill Barr. It's Bill Barr's fault. Uh, Former Attorney General Bill Barr was trying to protect Donald Trump back in 2019. This is why the Republicans now can't investigate Joe Biden the way they want to. If you remember, Donald Trump got on the phone back in 2019 with the newly elected president of Ukraine, Zelensky, and congratulated him on winning the election. Then in his perfect phone call, Trump said, I know that Congress here in the United States allocated hundreds of millions of dollars in weapons for your country, and I want to send it, send those weapons to you. But first, I need you to do me a little favor. I need you to look into finding dirt for me on Hunter Biden. And that perfect phone call led to an impeachment inquiry. Nancy Pelosi, the Democratic speaker at the time, authorized the House of Representatives to start an impeachment probe. But because Bill Barr became attorney general to protect Donald Trump and not the United States, the people of the United States or our Constitution, because Bill Barr was basically Donald Trump's attorney, not the attorney general, he ordered a memo that said the Justice Department will not enforce any congressional subpoenas regarding Trump's impeachment probe unless there is a formal inquiry, one that has been authorized by a majority vote in the House. He didn't recognize, he said it's not good enough for an impeachment probe to be authorized by just the Speaker acting unilaterally. You need a majority vote in the House to make it an official impeachment probe. Otherwise, the Justice Department will not cooperate. And you can't investigate without the Justice Department and the FBI enforcing congressional subpoenas. So Nancy Pelosi went ahead with a floor vote and she got a formal authorization for an impeachment probe. Again, you can't have an impeachment probe, thanks to Bill Barr, uh, without a full vote of the House 
authorizing it. And you can't, uh, you can't have a probe without the Justice Department. They enforce your subpoenas. You can ignore congressional subpoenas uh, if the FBI and the Justice Department aren't prosecuting. And that's exactly what the Biden administration is uh, doing right now. They're using Bill Barr's policy and they're ignoring a lot of these subpoenas from House Oversight, House Ways and Means Committee, and uh, from Jim Jordan, the uh, chairman of the Judiciary Committee, who, by the way, ignored his subpoena to testify before the January 6th committee. Uh, So... They're ignoring most of the subpoenas, although Hunter Biden and brother Jimmy, Jimmy Biden, the president's brother, they're going to be testifying early next month in closed door sessions. So they're they're going to go before these committees. So the Biden administration, the White House is dragging its feet on cooperating with these three committees, which means they are now forcing Speaker Johnson's hand. They're forcing him to go ahead and do what Nancy Pelosi had to do, and that is bring a resolution to the floor to authorize a formal impeachment inquiry. The problem that Johnson has is he uh, lacks the votes for full authorization, as well as the evidence. McCarthy had to order an impeachment probe unilaterally without a full vote because he knew he didn't have the votes. There are roughly 18 Republican members of the House from purple districts. What is a purple district? These are districts that Joe Biden won in 2020. But in 2022, these 18 districts elected uh, Republican members of Congress. Or... There was the voters in 2020 voted for Biden and a Republican member of Congress. But it's a it's a weak hold for these 18 Republican members of the House. And if they vote to open an impeachment probe. That will come back to bite them in the ass next November because they're from districts that went for Joe Biden in 2020. So it remains to be seen where Speaker Johnson will take the impeachment, how far he's willing to go with this. So far, he's willing to lie to the American people. Some say that he's merely going through the motions to satisfy the far right, even though he knows there's zero evidence. And more importantly, he's trying to keep the investigation alive. And without any meaningful follow through, you can keep this investigation going all the way till November. Keeping the threat of an impeachment as opposed to an actual impeachment might be a better political move for Johnson and the Republicans going into next year, especially since they have nothing on the Bidens. Zero. It's better to make it look like they're, they have something by never getting around to an actual trial. You never know if somebody's guilty or innocent until you hold a trial. If you don't hold the trial, the doubt remains. 
Joe Biden's numbers, let's talk about Joe Biden's numbers. I get a lot of complaints when I go over polling. Uh, Joe Biden's numbers are bad. And again, I, I am not saying polls are leading indicators of the final disposition of an election. I'm saying people read polls and uh, donors read polls. Uh, politicians read polls and they tack with the wins. For example, Nikki Haley is getting the lion's share of donations from the Koch brothers and other nefarious organizations because the polls show that she has a better chance of beating Joe Biden in the general election than Ron DeSantis does. So you can't just ignore the polls, even though they're inaccurate. They're just snapshots that inform the decision-making process. So when I, when I reference the polls, it's like referencing the uh, editorials in the New York Times. I always tell people, read the editorials in the New York Times because that's what the president of the United States is reading. That's what the Justice Department is reading. It doesn't mean that the New York Times is correct, but you're reading what the people in power are reading. To ignore the polls is to ignore what the people in power are reading and thinking. So Joe Biden's numbers are bad, but not really. Okay, they're not as bad as everyone is telling us. Yes, Trump beats Biden nationally, but it's all within the margin of error. And more importantly, it means nothing. People, Americans who are being polled are not paying attention to any of this. Right now, Americans are being asked, how do you feel about Joe Biden? Do you think he's doing a good job or a bad job? And the people who are stupid enough to answer their phones say, well, I, I don't think about Joe Biden. I work 12 hours a day and I'm raising a family. But now that you asked, I don't like him. I don't like anybody. I don't like Trump. I don't like McConnell. I don't, I don't like anybody. I don't like you. OK, we'll mark that down as negative. You don't think he's doing a good job. So these polls mean nothing right now. Eventually, however... The American people, the people who vote, okay? I'm talking about the people who vote. The 40% of Americans who are eligible to vote and vote, eventually they're going to start paying attention when they have to vote, when their primary state comes around. They, they postpone the decision-making process. So, I'm again... I'm talking about the 40% of Americans who vote. I, half this country doesn't have $500 in their savings account. I'm not talking about the tragedy of our economy. I, I suspect, however, uh, the 60% the, uh, the, the of Americans who don't vote, who could vote, uh, but don't, I suspect if we could get them to vote, they'd have $500 and more in their savings account. That's for another episode. But 40% of Americans who can vote, vote. And I suspect they're the ones who have $500 in their savings account. And I think the people who don't vote uh, don't have a lot of money. 
And I think they would have one of the one of the ways they could make money is by voting and participating in the redistribution of wealth in this country that we sorely need. So uh, it's hard to vote if you've been evicted and you're living on the streets. Homeless people don't vote. They can, but they don't because it's too hard. And of course, people in jail don't vote. Okay, so I'm talking now politics. I'm not talking about policy. I'm not talking about improving people's lives. I'm talking about politics, playing to the 40% of Americans who vote. The people who vote, I believe, are going to be easily convinced that Joe Biden has done a great job, especially with the economy. You can, I'm not selling Bidenomics. I'm not defending Joe Biden. I'm telling you, he has a story to tell to the 40% of Americans who have $500 in their savings account, aren't living in the street, aren't in prison, who haven't fallen through the cracks. Here are some interesting facts, okay? And this is the story that will get out. I don't know if you're going to watch the debate tonight between Ron DeSantis and California Governor Gavin Newsom. Gavin Newsom makes a great case for Joe Biden. You should watch the debate, even though it's on Fox News. Gavin Newsom may be the future of the Democratic Party. He's his he is great at messaging and winning debates. You should watch him. So this is what Gavin Newsom is going to be telling Hannity and DeSantis tonight. Newly revised figures show the economy last quarter was the hottest it has been in more than a decade. Third quarter GDP just got revised yesterday. It shows a 5.2% rate of growth. When have you seen a 5.2% rate of growth? It's been a decade now, fourth quarter growth is expected to come down to earth, but uh, 200 million Americans just went shopping either at brick or mortar stores or online after Thanksgiving. That's according to the National Retail Federation. You can make a case to people who aren't falling through the cracks that Bidenomics works. Uh, by the way, 70 percent of America's GDP is what you and I spend kind of amazing. Not what businesses spend, just what you and I spend, what consumers buy, the crap that we buy. And we buy, we're unbelievable. Credit card debt is now north of $1 trillion. 96% of Americans are concerned about the economy, but are buying things anyway. It's called doom spending. It's a new term, doom spending. Americans are worried, so they go shopping. This is a new phenomenon in America. I'm worried about money. I'm worried about my credit card debt. The only thing that makes me happy is shopping. And so people put more on their, uh, their card. It's a problem. People are addicted to uh, shopping for another show.
That's not what we're talking about here. There is growing, a growing sense among some that Joe Biden is a consequential president. Again, forget the pain and suffering that's going on in America. I'm talking politics and how asshole historians like Meekum and Beschloss look at these things. Historians are detached from the day-to-day pain of ordinary Americans. They look at the grand sweep of history. They try to figure out where Joe Biden belongs. And there is growing evidence to these entitled pricks that Joe Biden has a story that he can run on, not just for November, but for the ages, for the pantheon of great American presidents. The story is he inherited a train wreck. He did. COVID, a failing economy, and a crisis in democracy. That is true. You don't have to be an ivory tower prick not to acknowledge that. COVID is coming back a little, but it's nothing the way it was when Joe Biden took office. We've seen nothing but competence when it comes to COVID from his administration. Those COVID tests, I can't believe COVID tests arrive in the mail free of charge. And there's easy access to these vaccines, despite the right wing trying to convince you not to get vaccinated. The success we're seeing in the COVID numbers stabilized is because of the the competence of this Biden White House. The economy opened up under Joe Biden. And he's gone on to create more jobs than any president in American history. So Donald Trump lost more jobs than any president since Herbert Hoover in the Great Depression. Joe Biden has created more jobs than any president in American history. We have what is called full employment. And you may not like what full employment is, but when unemployment is at 4%, that is considered by economists full employment. They say it can't go any lower. Anything below 4% is considered inflationary. I don't happen to believe that, but people in charge do. Well, we've been not only at 4%, at full employment, uh, we've been below 4% for the longest stretch since the 1960s. This is a blowout economy for people who aren't struggling, for people who vote. I'm talking history and politics, not reality. Uh, We have been at full employment at 4% or below for the longest stretch since the 1960s. Look at the GDP from last quarter, more than 5%. And yes, it has been, there has been inflation. We're not sure if it's linked to full employment, probably price gouging, but uh, inflation is cooling off. It is a problem, but it's cooling off. 
This is the first year in recent memory where there's been a gain in union jobs. Not enough, but there's been a gain. And we have a, a National Labor Relations Board that is making it easier and easier for people to unionize. I know it's not enough. I am not talking about actual suffering. Half this country is falling through the cracks. I'm talking about winning elections. I'm talking about being 30,000 feet in the air in a private jet looking down the way historians do. Uh, and to some degree, uh, how the, the, of the 40% of the American people who vote, they... Okay. It is possible to see Joe Biden as a consequential president who, who pulled us out of Afghanistan. And if you're a baby boomer, uh, he, you know, bringing the troops home, uh, that is a miracle that he was able to bring the troops home from Afghanistan. And I don't want to hear how messy it is, because however messy bringing the troops home from Afghanistan was a lot less messier than staying put in Afghanistan. Uh, he has not sent troops into Ukraine. He won't send troops into Israel. He has rebuilt NATO and all the other uh, post-World War II institutions that Donald Trump tried to dismantle. Uh, he's done this not through arrogance, but through building coalitions with other countries. He's delivered, most importantly, he's delivered to the American people calm. He's delivered calm from Donald Trump's chaos. Remember when Trump was president, there was a fresh hell every day. Biden's boring, and that's good. And most importantly, and I'm going to get some pushback on this, unlike Trump, Joe Biden is a decent man. Uh, I know I've said some things about him in the past when he was running against Bernie because I'm a, a Bernie supporter. But I believe that Joe Biden is a decent man. This is an 81-year-old Grandpa, he looks and sounds tired. And so did Franklin Delano Roosevelt when he led us into World War II. I know a lot of you, a lot of my loved ones are terrified that Donald Trump will be back in the Oval Office or Nikki Haley will be our next president. And that's just as bad, maybe even worse. Uh, but the American people, uh, the voters, uh, for them, winning elections isn't uh, how you look or sound. The American people, the voters, are more forgiving than the late night comedians and the pundits you have to listen to every day. Yes, Biden's approval rating is below water right now, but I think... Privately, most Americans like Joe Biden.
He doesn't stir up the anger that Hillary and Bill Clinton do. He doesn't stir up the racism that Obama did. Uh, I think most Americans like Joe Biden and the problems he's had with Hunter makes him uh, more appealing. A lot of us can relate to what Joe Biden is going through. I believe going into 2024, a story of the Biden presidency is going to coalesce. And it's a story that Joe Biden put us on the road to recovery, where we're recovering the values this country once had. Unions, affordable health care, clean water, clean air, and decency. Again, it's not enough. But I do think it will be more than enough for him to win a second term which is why you have to have a little faith in the American people. I, I have faith that the American people will reelect Joe Biden and I can go back to hating him. <laughs> but right now, I don't have the luxury of hating Joe Biden. I think he's a decent man. I urge you to pay attention to the debate tonight. Watch Gavin Newsom debate Ron DeSantis. He's going to kick DeSantis's ass. If you haven't seen Gavin Newsom with Sean Hannity, it'll blow you away. He is everything Joe Biden is not in terms of uh, messaging. And he may be the future of the Democratic Party. But I do have a theory. Fox News is pushing Gavin Newsom. They love Gavin Newsom. Why? Why would Fox News push Gavin Newsom? I think uh, it's because of Kimberly Gargoyle. He was married to Kimberly Gargoyle, Don Jr.'s fiance. And I suspect Kimberly Gargoyle has told Fox News, push Gavin Newsom, I'm his ex-wife, Make him the Democratic nominee. I got stuff on this guy. I got an October surprise that will knock your pants off. That's my prediction, is that Kimberly Gargoyle is the reason Fox News is pushing Newsom. That being said, he's remarkable. I mean, he, like, he makes me like Sean Hannity because Hannity actually gives it to him. He, like, he admits, all right, you got me there, you got me there. Watch the debate tonight. It should be interesting. And finally, sad news? Satan finally agreed to take Henry Kissinger at the age of 100. I'm David Feldman reminding you to stay strong and protect the weak. Thank you for listening to this. Please like this so I remain in your feed Please subscribe to my newsletters. Please subscribe to my channel. Please share this with your friends. The only reason you're watching me right now is because somebody shared this with you. Or Sam Cedar, who's about to start right now. I want to go watch Sam. Uh, so And Robert Smigel. Those two have helped me. But uh, you, the people who listen to this show, are the ones who share this and and. 
Nobody's helping me. I don't have any network, no secret funding. So if you want to help me, please share this. Thank you to everybody in the chat room. Thank you to Bob, who uh, keeps the conversation civil. Please leave a comment. And is that it? I think that's it. Thank you all for listening to me. I know this is a different time. Uh, I'll discuss times with the audience, the live audience, uh, at a future date, trying to figure out what works for me and what works for everyone else. Thank you so much for uh, listening. Rotten hell, Henry Kissinger. Rotten hell, bad guy, bad guy. 